Welcome to Nicosia Uncut, produced and presented by Andromahi Sophocleus and Kemal Baikal. In this episode, we discuss what Cypriots living in a frozen conflict have to learn from the war in Ukraine. We also discussed the Russian involvement in Cyprus politics and how Turkey is trying to redefine its role in the region. Welcome to Nicosia Uncut. Hello, Andromahi. Hello, Kemal. Well, we are going through difficult times in terms of world peace and, uh, yes, Russia attacked Ukraine and there is an invasion going on. And this also created a shock, but also discussions in Cyprus, in both communities. I think it is fair to say that majority of the people are really shocked and unhappy or even disgusted with the way Russia is be handling the whole situation and then attacking a neighboring country with certain excuses. But there are also some groups who uh, hold West and Ukraine responsible for this and that. We know this kind of discussions going everywhere in the world. And I don't think that it's our intention to go into the details of the war. But I think it's important for us as Cypriots to draw uh, our conclusions. And in fact, this is what United Cyprus now said um, a few weeks ago uh, when uh, the war started. There was a press release and and then the title of the press release was uh, Cypriots must draw their own conclusions from this war. And uh, I think the first conclusion that we need to draw is the fact that uh, we are living in a frozen conflict and any conflict which is you know, it can be an ethnic conflict and or or any other conflict can can not be frozen, can melt any time. And then I think this is the biggest um, lesson that we need to learn from this. No, I agree. And I think that uh, it is important for us to stress that our thoughts go out with the people that are currently being attacked. Our thoughts go out with the victims of this invasion, but also with the Russian people, the, those brave protesters that have taken the streets to protest against the actions of their leader. Uh, but as you said, Kemal, I think uh, we should look into what there is uh, here for Cypriots to learn. And uh, as a country that has been through war, that has lived through uh, the consequences of war and that is still in a frozen conflict, I, I think that we have a lot to ask ourselves as to uh, whether we are in fact indeed working for peace because we are all now united in condemning the war that is currently taking place and we are seeing in front of our eyes and on our screens the hideous nature of war. But have we questioned ourselves and have we questioned whether we are doing enough in order to maintain and to build peace at home? We are living in an in a frozen conflict that could erupt at any moment. Uh, we see how ethnic uh, disputes uh, can be used by powerful neighbors that want to claim a piece of a country. And Really, are Cypriots doing enough in order to protect their sovereignty, their independence, and to fight uh, for a peaceful island? I'm not sure, Kemal. One thing that really shocked me when I watched, uh, when I have, you know, when I'm still watching, but when I have been watching those, you know, interviews when they were um, talking to the Ukrainians, they were telling us that we were going through a normal life and nobody thought or believed that this would happen. Nobody thought that this day would come. There were, of course, all, always rumors about, you know, disagreements or even, 
Russia not being happy, but nobody believed in this, he said. And I was thinking about Cyprus, like it's a very small country. And we are so confident that we are being, you know, part of the EU. We are like, and we are so confident that nothing uh, will happen to us. And then we are literally living on a powder keg. And it is also quite interesting to see how anti-solution circles are trying to um, give their own message in a in a completely opposite way. For example, I see Turkish and Turkish Cypriot right wing saying that, look what happened to Ukraine because there is no big brother to to um, stand up for Ukraine. And this is why it's important to have Turkey as our guarantor power. And it <laughs> is very important in this wild world to have a guarantor power and to have Turkey on the island. And this is why uh, this is the lesson that we need to learn. I think in the South, in the Greek Cypriot community, it is, it is a very different story. No, interestingly, I was about to say that interestingly, the, the Greek Cypriot more uh, right wing and the more nationalist circles are also uh witnessing the war in 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 Ukraine as a confirmation of their belief that there should be an increase in the defense spending uh, for Cyprus uh, some uh, popular uh, newscasters have even claimed that uh, Ukraine was left alone by its western partners and therefore Uh, Cyprus should also take lessons and arm itself <laughs> as though there are enough arms that we can buy <laughs> in order to fight off Turkey in the case that uh, it would um, choose to make that move. And It is very interesting the in the sense that the Turkish Cypriot right wing thinks that they are Ukraine and Greek Cypriot right wing thinks that they are Ukraine. They are both yeah. playing to be the victim. I mean, this is generally the essence of the Cyprus problem. Even in this case, both sides try to show how a weak side can be attacked by a powerful side. In the Turkish Cypriot uh, uh, narrative, right-wing narrative, the powerful side is the Greeks and Greek Cypriots. And in the Greek Cypriot right-wing narrative, it's Turkey. So both sides play the victim and both sides draw, draw the conclusion Uh, that uh, one side th that why they need a guarantor and the other side why need to why they need to uh, do more um, spending on on guns and ammunitions and <laughs> well, story of our lives Kemal <laughs> it's like you need to be the victim wanting to be the victim and out from from all this what is missing is the uh, slightest desire for self-criticism and, and slightest desire for self-reflection and For me, I, I, I think that the world will enter an arms race after this all is over, but uh, I also think that the pressure will be increased um, in the Greek Cypriot community for an increase in defense spending. And it is sad that these circles really believe that all these years, and they claim that all these years the Republic of Cyprus has been sort of keeping dormant in terms of defense, and they feel that the, the, the policy of appeasement has failed and that now they have to arm themselves in case something happens. And it is sad that nobody pays attention to peace and from all this from everything that is happening there is an absence of discussion on that issue aside from that or rather as a side note 
it, it came the, the claim by the Greek Cypriots that, that they were raising the issue of sanctions against Turkey uh, for the war in 1974. And there were parties, political parties that came out and suggested that this should take place. The parliament uh, in the, in the vote of condemnation of the, of the Russian invasion, they also uh, mentioned uh, <laughs> the need for sanctions against Turkey. So you see how suddenly Greek Cypriots failed to understand that we are now in 2022. There is a war that is currently taking place that is the largest wave of, uh, of refugees in the European Union in such a short amount of time. And again, the Greek Cypriot public chooses to bring in the forefront, in the forefront, the issue of, uh, of sanctions against Turkey. And this, I believe it's kind of indicative of the mindset of the average Greek Cypriot citizen. And, um, it, it is a sad realization, to be honest, because it, it kind of shows the irrational, uh, way of thinking, uh, in, in the mainstream, uh, Greek Cypriot political sphere. I think it's very important to remind Cypriots, our listeners, to ourselves, that Cyprus is a very small country. And the only lesson that we can take from this crisis, from this conflict, from this human tragedy, is that we need to make sure that no such conflict occurs in Cyprus. This cannot be avoided with armament. This cannot be avoided with um, having strong armies on your soil. The only way to overcome this is to make sure that the source of conflict is removed from this, this soil, from the, these territories. The only way is to make sure that we don't live in a frozen conflict anymore, is to solve the, 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 the Cyprus problem. And I don't understand how the message how when the message is so clear people don't even get it and they try to use it for their own propaganda purposes or just to justify their own arguments one would wonder like literally we're watching all of this happening before our eyes shouldn't we all like turn around and and ask ourselves whether, as you said, we have eliminated every possibility for conflict. or uh, And instead of doing that, we choose to reimagine ourselves as the constant and eternal victims. Uh, but in any case, I think that um, that was an interesting sort of uh, implication. But another implication, and I'm sure that you are following it in the Turkish Cypriot community as well, but it has been very dominant in the Greek Cypriot community, is this whole discussion about Russia's uh, role in Cyprus. Just to give a bit of a background, and and I believe that we have not discussed this uh, in in our podcast. Um, Makarios Drusotis, a former close associate of President Anastasiadis, he lately released a book that is titled "The Crime in Gran Montana," and it basically gives uh, an account of uh, everything that took place before the 2017 conference on Cyprus that took place in Gran Montana. Uh, the book is uh, revealing outlook on uh, on on relations between Greece, uh, Cyprus and Turkey uh, behind the scenes uh, 
relations. Uh, it, it has a lot of revelations about uh, the president and his circle, a lot of revelations, especially about the former minister of foreign affairs, Mr. Nikos Christodoulidis, which have been refuted by Mr. Christodoulidis, of course. So we will discuss the book in another episode, but what is worthy of noting here is the fact that in the book, the underlying theme is that Russia is pulling the strings in Cyprus. There are descriptions in the book of relations between uh, the Russian embassy and uh, mainstream and very popular media in Cyprus. There were uh, hints at uh, relationships between uh, former Minister of Foreign Affairs, Nikos Christodoulidis, and uh, the Russian Foreign Affairs ministry and there is a lot of discussion on on the role of Russia in the in in the Cyprus problem and there is a lot of focus on how Russia has been a hindering factor against a Cyprus problem solution rather than uh, an agent that is standing on the right side of history as uh, almost every political party in the Greek Cypriot community believes so that book was a huge blow against the image of Russia in Cyprus as the sort of country that protects Cyprus in the Security Council. But that book was not discussed. And now that the war is currently taking place in, in Ukraine, and now that Russia is the culprit in the situation, the discussion has reemerged. And I do not know if, did you, did you happen to watch the interview of uh, the ambassador of the Russian Federation to Cyprus, Mr. Stanislav Osachi? Yes, of course. <laughs> what did you take of it? Well, it was very interesting and I think it should be shocking for many people that ambassador literally like threatened or like tried to interfere in the internal affairs of, of, of Cyprus openly and he says that if you don't open your airspace all the tourists and everybody will go to turkey and then it wasn't diplomatic at all and then i think everybody should should be reacting to that like on what grounds you think that you are the owner of this country i mean how can you um, blackmail people saying that that the tourists will go to turkey and then you will suffer in the end and all kind of things and on that note i will want to remind our listeners if they are interested in this two days ago um, Esra Aigon and Lefteris Adelinis on Decode Cyprus another podcast on Island Talks uh, produced a very good episode on uh, Russian Cypriot links and Esra reminded us that a few years ago when there were talks there was this discussion to replace um, guarantor powers with an international force and um, he, she intervie interviewed uh, the Russian ambassador, and he openly said that Russia will never allow, uh, uh, will never permit NATO to be the, you know, to be on on, to, to be literally be the guarantor of, of Cyprus. Whether Cypriots want it or not, it's another discussion. But he found the courage, and then and then uh, ability and. <laughs> The power to say what is right and what is wrong and what Russia will allow or what Russia will not. And, and then this also goes unnoticed. And I think Russia was, is one country that has never been discussed 
within the framework of Cyprus problem. I remember in 2004 they were using veto power when uh, there was a discussion whether the Security Council will guarantee the implementation of the so-called unknown plan at that time. So when we go look back, I think Russia has always been there. Yeah, and I have a few comments on uh, on what you say, Kemal. So, uh, firstly, when I was listening to the interview of Mr. Osachi, I was honestly wondering if if his statements were coming from a different ambassador, if they were coming from the British High Commissioner, if they were coming from I don't know the American ambassador in Cyprus. I cannot even imagine what the reaction would have been of the Republic of Cyprus government. They would have summoned the ambassador in the presidential palace to call him for explanations. Um, and at the same time, I think that it was also revealing on behalf of Mr. Rosacci because he kind of uh, show, showed his cards with his statement because he made it clear that Russia is using uh, the pending Cyprus problem, is using the relations between Cyprus and Turkey as, as a card for it uh, in order to get what it wants out of Cyprus because that, that, that was the essence of that blackmail, let's say. It was clear you, you do something against us, well, our tourists will be headed to whom you oh, claim to hate. I mean, that was the game that Mr. Osachi played then. Uh, it is very good of you to refer to the excellent podcast by Adilinis and Aegin. And, but, but just another note here, I think it is worth discussing the role of Russia in the Cyprus problem in a great, in greater depth in this uh, podcast uh, series. And I think that maybe we can do it in another episode because what we need to keep from, from this discussion is that Russia has long been seen as this sacred sort of international agent that very few political forces were touching uh, because uh, it was seen as being favorable towards Cyprus. But of course, as you mentioned before, the a geopolitical analysis would not uh, conclude to uh, Russia perceiving itself as being in the game in the case of a Cyprus problem solution. But in any case, these are other discussions to be had in a different podcast. But what is is important to keep here is that the, 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 the Greek Cypriot public has been kind of divided on this because yes a, a wide discussion has been uh, has started on the role of Russia but at the same time you saw a lot of 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 people actually siding with Putin's line you saw a lot of people and the many religious and people that use the sort of the line of the orthodox church as linking them to to Russia and they uh, cannot uh, publicly and critically I condemn uh, Putin, but also, as you said before, there are others that are, you know, that that they choose to to put more emphasis on the role of NATO in the whole conflict. Talking about NATO, I think it's important to draw another conclusion: is that now that Turkey is probably being reassessed as a regional power and and its role, because Turkey uh, Turkey's biggest asset in the Cold War years is that it was a very loyal NATO ally, and it was literally bordering um, the Soviet Union, and it was very important to have Turkey, you know, in 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 the alliance and to make sure that uh, and then Turkey was using this as a foreign policy tool. And I think now with this recent conflict, many people, many analysts and Western powers started to 
rethink Turkey's role, maybe because especially in the last 10 years, for example, Turkey has always been regarded as an eccentric country, a problematic country under Erdogan's term. But I think now um, with this big crisis in the heart of Europe, many Western countries are rethink are rethinking Turkey's role and Turkey will probably be wanting to capitalize this and will want to uh, will be forced to choose uh, eventually a, a side a path and I think Turkey is yes now trying to play a role between two sides now that Turkey is inviting the delegations of Russia and Ukraine to to Turkey so that they can start um, discussions and I think it's mainly Russia who wants to keep Turkey pleased accepting this I don't expect any kind of a result out of the talks that will be taking place in Turkey but eventually um, I think the West will the NATO will also rethink um, the a possible conflict uh, on this part of the world and probably it's an important message to the international community to make sure that the Cyprus problem will be solved one way, way or another. The question whether this solution will be to the benefit of the Cypriots or not. You mentioned the Cyprus problem solution and I laughed because it was the optimist in you <laughs> and the cynical in me. Well, I don't um, see this as, as, as something that you know, everybody's thinking about Cyprus. No, of course. But I think the, the point here is that the West will not want to have another conflict, a potential conflict, to erupt in the near future, probably. And both Greece and Turkey are NATO members, we like it or not. And Turkey is now trying to re, you know, highlight its role as a NATO power. And I think the, the West will try to address uh, to this, this issues. We need to address well, this issue somehow. Joking aside, um, I, I believe that, okay, so clearly our focus now is for the war to end. But I honestly believe that the day... And the day after will be a totally different world. I believe we are literally witnessing a, a great change in the way the world uh, order is shaped. Oh my, I almost uttered the phrase new world order now. But no, that's <laughs> not what I meant. I meant that uh, the world will be a different place the day after. I think that the United Nations, the role of the United Nations needs to be rediscussed. Honestly, I think that a whole... um a whole new window of discussion is opening after what we've seen in this uh, conflict. I think that uh, we have a lot to see regarding arms race in the wider world. I honestly also believe that uh, even the understandings, our the geopolitical understandings might start changing if we're going to see Russia being increasingly isolated. We need to see who's Russia's uh, um, sort of ways out will be. Uh, we also have Asia that is currently watching and we don't know <laughs> what they are thinking, in fact. So we also have that uh, area in which we need to be looking at it. And in all this, you are right, you also have... Uh, Cyprus. I, I honestly think it is high time also the world woke up to understand that maybe Cyprus is receiving a lot of pressure from uh, the Russian Federation in, in different ways. Uh, so maybe it is high time we considered Cyprus as, you know, an area that is receiving also those pressures to see what to do 
with this. And in all this, yes, maybe a, a new discussion will emerge on what do we do now. And uh, I completely agree with you in the sense that this will be a turning point. It will be a milestone. And I think it is time for the international community to decide whether it is going to be A, a might make right, or B, more respect to the international uh, law and uh, collective security and, and then international organs such as United Nations. And it is to the interest of the small countries like Cyprus to make sure that the second prevails. Otherwise, if it's going to be might make rights, if it's going to be another Cold War, then sides will have to be forced to choose a side or they will be the victim of bigger countries and whoever bigger big country in the in the game th that will be the winner and so i don't think that cyprus will want this so the lesson that we need to take is that here we need to stick to the international law to the united Nations resolutions and the fact that we especially uh, after crown montana there have been different approaches to erode and eliminate the United Nations resolutions on, you know, political equality, on federalism and on, on you know, federal solution is, you know, now we understand what a big mistake it was. Small countries need to stick to the international law, to the international agreements, should stick to a solution based on compromise, but based on the uh, United Nations resolutions. Otherwise, if it might make right, then, you know, it will be end of it for the small country like Cyprus. Yes, and uh, I think that because there is a lot of talk about, you know, being on the right side of history, etc., I don't believe in sides when it comes to history. I believe history is in the making. And for what is worth, I would like to be hearing even more voices out there that call for our people in the face of this disaster and in the face of the disaster that is called war i would like us to be set on on to be raising our voice for peace for building bridges instead of destruction and for working on solving our problems and for working for on solving our conflicts because we've seen a lot of heroic uh, actions on our screens these days and we've heard a lot of heroic moves uh, through social media these days but nobody wants to be a hero and nobody wants to die in in the midst of a conflict and for what is worth what we can do in peaceful times or in seemingly peaceful times is to be working for peace and uh, before we conclude, how do you evaluate the record of the Republic of Cyprus government in this crisis in the last few weeks? Oh, <laughs> no, I think the record has been abysmal and I'm very disappointed uh, as a Republic of Cyprus citizen. Let's just uh, remind our, our audience that uh, when the invasion happened, there was an urgent meeting called in, uh, of leaders of the European Union in Brussels. Uh, President Anastasiadis was in a business forum accompanied by a number of his ministers in Dubai, in the United Arab Emirates. And in the midst of the invasion, he said that he wouldn't go to uh, the meeting and he called for uh, Mr. Mitsotakis, the Greek Prime Minister, to replace him. Uh, in the end, and after all the the fuss that took place and after having basically uh, ridiculed 
uh, his country. Uh, he decided that he was looking for a plane and a flight to take him to Brussels. I put in brackets here that in the end he found a, a, a flight that cost the Republic of Cyprus 95,000 euros. All of this was happening. And since then, honestly, Anastasiadis' presence has been minimal. After the meeting in Brussels, he took, a, he went to the Saudi Arabia for another business meeting. Uh, he has been basically, we, we saw him when he was meeting uh, the president of Israel a few days ago, and he was also meeting the president of Slovenia today. But aside from basic statements, uh, uh, he has not said anything. And I believe that the country that was keeping back the European Union a few years ago uh, from imposing sanctions on on Belarus should be more eager to restore its reputation in the face of the of, of this crisis that is now caused Belarus's closest ally, which is Mr. Putin. So I believe that the Republic of Cyprus government has a lot to answer for. The the C, the governing party, it, it, it was very clear in its, in its condemnation of Russia. But honestly, and they were trying to hit that I, uh, to hit that I kill for a kill stance. But honestly, in, in this situation, I think that the person that has exposed Cyprus negatively is the president himself. And as a Cypriot citizen, I must say, I am kind of sad that he even did not bother meeting uh, Ukrainians that live on the island to offer, you know, even, even symbolically. I think Mr. Anastasiadis wanted to avoid taking a blame from either side. Now that, um, you know, as a part of the EU, there are strong sanctions and reactions from the West, and then he cannot be, you know, saying no to those um, sanctions and then um, finding itself being accused and criticized by Russia. And we also heard rumors that the Republic of Cyprus said that we can open our airspace to Russian flights if the tourists will continue to go to Turkey or North Cyprus. Was it really the case? Can the Republic of Cyprus do something like this at this stage? Uh, this is something that I am also currently investigating as to whether they could seek it. It was indeed mentioned at some point, and the, the, the argument was that, okay, but if we close our air, airspace, but because Turkey is not in the European Union and does not have to impose the sanctions, and as Turkey de facto controls the North, if they leave the northern Cyprus open for uh, the Russian flights, then it, it means that the tourists would be flying to the north. Um, I'm not sure yet whether this could be done, but it has been uh, mentioned as an argument by the Republic of Cyprus government and the Minister of Transport himself. I don't see this happening for political reasons. I don't see uh, Republic of Cyprus or any EU country, EU member, will challenge this decision at the time when even there, there is even um, more pressure for more sanctions and even a harsher stand. And I think everybody has agreed that this action by, by Russia brought together the EU member states together and then reignited the European spirit and then um, made 
the West realize uh, made the West realize their of their responsibilities. So I don't see that Cyprus will be challenging all those anymore. Since you raised this issue, though, Kemal, I think it is also worth mentioning that uh, Cyprus is included in the hostile countries uh, by the Russian Federation, as as they included all the uh, European Union members. But the the Russian Federation Ministry of Foreign Affairs they they came out with a harsh statement against the Greek government for the stance the Greek government has taken in the situation, which is in itself unprecedented because Greece is also tied very closely with Russia and the Orthodox Church. And in all honesty, and with tongue-in-cheek, in fact, I think that Anastasiadis was kind of afraid of having to face this sort of anger by Russia. And that's why, yes, he, he went along with the European Union members because he really could not do otherwise in the midst of the unity and the gravity of the situation. But at the same time, he didn't want to come in the fore <laughs> and lashing against Rush. We have an expression in Turkish. We call it Sindagul Legetsin. Basically, even in the Turkish Cypriot um, dialect as well, it means just uh, hide so that the cannonball doesn't hit you. Yes, I, I think it, uh, it matches uh, the situation very well. We conclude our podcast by extending our sympathies and hoping that this crisis um, ends very soon. There will be uh, consequences and then, you know, millions of people are now refugees in Europe. And um, yes, of course, we appreciate and understand that there are double standards in the world and, you know, you know, the EU countries, Europe and Western world doesn't treat uh, the Ukrainian refugees the way they uh, treated the other refugees in the world. Yes, we know and understand this, but I don't think that it is time to compare the pains of the people at the time. I think it's important to, to fix it as much as possible. It's important to make sure that we show solidarity and it's important to make sure that uh, global cooperation and global dialogue um, eventually um, takes over. So um, I think that's my last words for this episode. Yes, thank you, Kemal. We tried to discuss all that we could. I'm just extending a note to our listeners that we are all following developments as closely as we can, but it is important to keep our mental health also sane. Things are uncertain, things are unstable, but uh, we should try and uh, find the reasons to continue the struggle. And uh, there is no better uh, time than to continue working for peace. So that's my message for today. 